Dr. Nimrod Mbili is an academic, a successful businessman who has a talent to simplify business and make it relevant beyond the boardroom. Catch Dr. Nimrod Mbili live and beyond governance Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Productivity Essay in action. A very good evening to you all and welcome to another edition of Beyond Governance. Uh, my name is Nimrod Mbele. Once again, I'm honored to be in your company and thank you for listening to the show. I'm privileged indeed. I'm also sure that, um, you know, everybody's excited about spring. It, you know, you know, at spring, everybody, it kind of, you know, that kind of a time of the month where one's life is, it, it's, it's sort of warmth and it's very bright, uh, especially after a very long periods of winter. Um, and it's time for everybody to go out and celebrate. And I'm sure everybody's looking out forward to, to put on their best um, outfit to celebrate the very warm weather. Um, August, as it were, it was dubbed or it is dubbed uh, Women's Month. And, and on this show, we deliberately had a conversation that uh, meant to excavate, um, you know, the kinds of experiences that women are going through and, and the kinds of, um, you know, landmines uh, and opportunities which, which women and, 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 and you know, um, experience from time to time. And, and one contend that although gender mainstreaming remains a challenge in this country, um, there's more work that has been done, particularly when you look at government representation of women at the senior level. And one, one may also argue that, um, you know, private sector lags behind in terms of senior representation. Um, you know, this also gets to, to, to a point where one to uh, make an assertion that, um, you know, the, 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 the epic governance failures um, in, you know, that we have seen throughout um, warrants a very interesting conversation from a research point of view in that one could draw a correlation between, you know, uh, underrepresentation of women, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in senior position. Uh, I'm saying, you know, if women were, you know, fairly represented in senior positions would not have these kinds of um, colossal of corporate governance failure. And of course, um, you know, that if that assumption holds, um, you know, would obviously go a long way in terms of, um, you know, really bring everything up to speed. But I hear some guys, you know, or some male in particular would be like nodding and say, look, Nimrod, what, 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 what are you, what were you smoking? What are you drinking? Whatever that you smoke and drink, drinking is rather cheap or very weird. But but I contend that, um, you know, for me, I mean, there's definitely a positive correlation. Well, somebody might obviously have to do a bit of research because, um, you know, where women have led, we have not seen the kind of shenanigans that we've seen where, 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 where males have led. Perhaps maybe it's a time for us to relook at this, you know, arrangement and appreciate the value of of leadership, um, you know, uh, espoused by women or women-led kind of organization, um, and I know I'm, you know, some of my male colleagues who, who who are very consecutive, you know, they should be down. But be that as it may, this is my view. Um, for those that have missed our conversation last week, when we had this kind of conversation with women-led organization, wherein personally I've benefited immensely in terms of getting the insight of how women. Uh, who are, you know, sometimes thrown in the deep end, are surviving 
by seizing opportunities um, and really sometimes making opportunities against all odds. For those that have made that kind of conversation last week, I implore you to go to our website, go to www.highfm.com, retrieve the website, I mean the podcast, and really tell me your, your, your views about it. Um, and as always, I'll welcome your thoughts tonight um, in a similar um, expectation is, is expected from you in terms of you know sending us your SMSs. Uh, if you're on a way in, not if I employ you to weigh in, our SMS line is 34519. WhatsApp line is 061 869 109. And of course, my email is nimrod at Before um, getting into tonight's conversation, I think it's only fair that I pay homage to those who came before me. And I'm, I'm noted that Kathy Kayla is not here. Um, she'll be with us next week. Um, wherever you are, Kathy, I hope you're listening. Uh, I hope everything goes well. But let me also thank Benji for, for, for taking the rain and making sure that everything goes well. We've got Lindim Konazi, and of course, we've got Sasha and Mandy. Um, thank you guys for giving us uh, the kinds of um, you know programming that you've done to date. And of course, uh, the men of the house, um, I've noted um, what, you know, it will be almost like criminal. Not to acknowledge Vosi, not to acknowledge DJ Flo, not to um, acknowledge um, you know uh, Tabo Shabalala, who is the technical producer of the show. Tabo, once again, welcoming and good evening, sir. Good evening, Doc. How are you? Thank you very much, my brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. Moving on swiftly, in, in terms of setting the scene, one you know uh, the nerd in me always calls upon to contextualize some of the issues that you'll be talking about. Uh, and and in studio, I have a, a you know a lady that I have awesome respect for. I'm getting to know her, and hopefully this won't be the first time we're talking about. But before that, let me just paint the picture. We we have noted that we are currently going through a technical recession, which really give impetus on the current conversation on how corporate governance can be used as a as a lever to to stimulate the the, the conversation that gains traction. How government and how civil society and the private sector can join to head, hands together in really changing the status quo. Because it's, it's quite important that every time when we have this kind of conversation, the reference point always has to be, what is the NDP doing? What are the things or, or activities or, you know, or, you know, programming or programs that, that I suppose in, in NDP that are not, you know, uh, working? And my assumption is that we South Africans are very, pretty much known to have this fancy, you know, policies, fancy programming, but execution lacks, you know. So, so I mean, every time when we, we go back, we should always go back to, you know, the very, the, the very basic, you know, because if you don't attend to, you know, if you're not, if you're not Pennywise, you know, uh, we're all in a big mess. And, and I always employ people to go back to the very basic because those kinds of basics, can actually get us somewhere. On that note, let me have um, a warm welcome to Avril. Avril Notovich. Notelovitz. Uh, <laughs> I beg your pardon. I'm gonna, but by, by the time we end the show, I would pronounce it quite well. Uh, Avril, she's the um, you know procurement uh, chief procurement uh, um, officer. Yes. And uh, uh, vendor management at R and B. Correct. Avril. Avril. Good evening. How are you, babe? I'm fine, thank you, you. Thank you very much for gracing our studio tonight. Um, the very first question the one would want to know, you know, your title quite quite big and it's quite massive, I would imagine, particularly when you're running an entity like that. 
um, you, at one level you have procurement, and the other level it's you know the, on the other hand is vendor management. What is the difference between the two? Okay, so um, good evening to the listeners. Thank you so much for having me. Doc, I uh, hear yeah, it's Doc, Brow, Doc. I uh, just get the lingo right. No, Nimrod is just fine. Thank you. <laughs> Nimrod. Um, okay, so I suppose um, w- the way we look at it, vendor, vendor is a supplier. So basically what we're looking at is we're looking at a supply chain. Mm. So it's an end-to-end value proposition. So procurement, and that sounds all fancy, but if we get down to basics, uh, procurement is 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 basically where um, – it's a team of people who look after the buy process, the buying process within a within an organisation, and um, so they will do the sourcing of suppliers, um, vetting those suppliers, and to your point around um, um, what goes on in society at the moment, procurement is quite a quite a, a, um, an interesting topic when one talks about it. I don't think people spoke about procurement many years ago. Um, but uh, so we would we would co- sort of KYS the suppliers. So the suppliers, um, that means know your supplier, like you would know your customer um, when you are a bank. Um, so we vet the supplier to make sure that they're not on a PIP list. That means they're not on a, a, um, a, a sort of don't do business with this because they might be Gupta linked, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so um, that would be – and then we would contract that – that um, supplier. So when we contract the supplier, we'll do. We have le- uh, lawyers who help us negotiate these contracts, and then we have sourcing specialists who help us negotiate the pricing um, and ensure that we get the best value for business. It's not always just about price; it's about value, and not bringing um, risk onto the onto um, into the bank. So that's the buying side. It sounds quite complicated, but actually we can get it down to the home economics of the milk. Mm-hmm. Scenario which I gave you before. So if you're at home and um, everybody at home is 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 goes home on their way home and they might buy milk and bread and there's seven of you in the family might end up with seven bottles of milk and seven loaves of bread. At the end of the day, you want to manage that spend as effectively as possible and get the best for your money. But now you contract. And then the contract goes into a system, right? Before it used to go in a drawer. Now it goes into a fancy system and then it sits there. How do we operationalize that contract? Because within the contract, you might have rights and obligations that would be incumbent on the supplier and on the business. So that's what vendor management would do is manage the relationship um, of between business, procurement, and the supplier and ensure that the supplier is delivering to contract. Absolutely. Does Thank that make have I? Have abso- I? No, absolutely. I'm I'm quite clear now that uh, you've you've given me that kind of um, uh, breakdown, yes. which which I'm I'm sure you know listeners are also quite 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 are fail you know because if I am I'm sure most of us are. But here's something that that you know following your 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 breakdown, which I found quite interesting because procurement and vendor management um, makes it such an attractive. Um, you know, um, attractive episode of any corporate or, uh, or facility, uh, to look, you know, to look of a better word, um, which means you may attract, you know, obviously people that are not supposed to be there. You, you, you mentioned, you know, the vetting process, you know, um, and, and the pep list and the value and the risk and, and how you operationalize this thing. You know, now that we have, you know, all these kinds of systems and protocols that are in place, um, from where you are, 
But how do we account for this colossal of shenanigans that we see? Because I would imagine um, the kinds of system that you're referring to exist elsewhere. You know, in, 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 in a public sector, there are a lot of these kinds of control because everybody knows. But despite these kinds of very, you know, um, burdensome administrative requirements, which are needed, by the way, we still have this kind of shenanigans. What accounts for those? Well, I suppose um, I think I think when people see gaps in in processes, or when um, people have opportunities to to take a short left, so to speak, to take a, a shortcut, um, or they see a gap in a in a process, because any process works, um, it works. However, if you get a senior person who bullies a junior person to do something that they or to bypass a process i think that's when when you get gaps those are the gaps i'm referring to mm-hmm. um if we follow due process and then we get a report after that and we can kind of have transparency and give feedback back to management that this is how the process is working i think that's good and well intended but i think um there's dishonesty and people are just, I think maybe people get greedy um, or feel that they not earning enough money or deserve more and they take advantage of um, gaps in the process. Now that can, you know, they always say the fish rots from the head. So, um, you know, yes, is there fraud on with junior people? There can be in all, in all levels of the organization, but as leaders, I think we have to set the example of being um, having integrity and ensuring that you don't compromise and you challenge where you feel appropriate. So, I think procurement um, traditionally has, uh, you know, the I think they they employ quite strong strong willed um, individuals, and we do do that specifically because it's 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 difficult when you're spending money. People have an um, an opinion, and you know. You've got, very smart people that you're dealing with about why we need something or why we need to go to a particular supplier. But procurement is meant to be there as a check and balance in some way, in some form, but also as an independent um, uh, party to the process. So I also think it's about integrity, and and that starts with you as an individual. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I think I also quite um, liked how you sort of gave us a breakdown in terms of how the how the fish rot from, I mean, rot from the top, which speaks to organizational culture, and which, which in my view, um, really elevate um, ethos that management espouse to, in terms of making sure that um, you know these kind of things don't ha- don't really happen. But we have seen instances where you know uh, top management are literally abusing their powers, or they don't really promote. A culture that promotes or oh, that 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 sort of engender that kind of transparency, um, particularly when 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 junior officials are the ones that are questioning um, the kinds of, of of gaps or you know uh, flaws they see from their seniors. How do you how can how can we you navigate? Because that's pretty much the challenge that most people feel. Because it's about power relationship. You know, you have a senior you as an as a, as a chief procurement officer. You know. And, and taking instructions or perhaps maybe being called where your values are being, you know, called in, in, into question by your, your, your subordinate, um, surely that can't be pleasant. 
No, no, it's not. It wouldn't be. But um, I do think that people uh, people need to st- to to to. Um, so they need to try and think of themselves as leaders, even if you you can be an informal leader. So you need to set an example for yourself in your home with your children that integrity is the cornerstone of who you are. And if you work in an organization, you should you know people shouldn't. I, I can't you can't tell people how to live. It's about how you live personally yourself. So um, I, I think we we find ourselves in a society at the moment where integrity is kind of hasn't been a cornerstone and I think we need to get back there. How we get back there is a journey. Um, but I think that as leaders, everybody it must be a you know, should be a leader and actually question those things and you shouldn't be working in an organization where you know that this is an issue. Now I I, I think we get into that gets quite challenging because then people um I, I you know you hear of people who are getting Killed or getting, um, you know, whistleblowers, you know, but you need to have those avenues in your companies to be able to, to, to blow the whistle and call call people to account because people must feel safe that they can, you know, they if can. people have to feel safe in an organisation to be able to to call senior people to account, and then we need to own the fact we need to hold people accountable. Um, I suppose it's about accountability. It's a tough one. You ask me a tough question. Uh, <laughs> I know. Look, I, trust me. I don't have all the answers That's, for yeah, these I kinds don't. of these things because because these are kind of daily experiences that we all go through, yeah. uh, and we all, as a collective, um, have to find ways. One of the things that 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 you also highlighted as as part of something that uh, as a journey, I would imagine, is is the whole notion of consequence management, which which, in my view, when you look at kinds of appetites that I've seen in, on on maladministration, says. We are not really pushing the envelope around consequence management because when you, when the envelope I beg your pardon, has been pushed, the chances are we'll be seeing less and less Correct. of deviation, less and less of mal- maladministration, less and less. You know, based on what your based on what you know, why is it that we are our appetite levels? You know, are so high when it comes to consequence management. We're not really pushing the envelope as we should, you know, because this envelope, the newspapers that you and I read all the day, every day, will not be inundated with these kinds of stuff. Which means there's something wrong with our psyche around consequence management. I think there is. I think, um, you know, I, I, I like that. I think it was Mayor Giuliani. From New, the New York, York. Yeah. yes, and he had a broken window policy. New York was filled filled with crime, and then he had the broken window policy. You know, if you break the window, you must pay for it. So people say, but that's such a small thing. So it's the small things. If you jump the robot, you must get a fine. If you, you know, and then we start small and you build up. There should be consequence management, and I think as leaders, that's I suppose the difference also between someone who manages versus someone who leads. If you lead, you challenge the status quo. You have that courage to stand up. Chile Madoncela. You have the courage to stand up and say, this is wrong. This is not acceptable. Um, and I think it's correct. You have to be courageous. You have to be able to, to, to have a voice and to challenge the status quo, to challenge. Um, and I think challenge, I think challenge is 
also about you have to connect first before you challenge because I think if you just challenge people then see the resisteria that just wants to ah, yep, yep, yep all the time. <laughs> I can but, imagine. Yes. <laughs> so it's also about connecting with people and um, taking people on your journey about how you do things. Um, Absolutely, absolutely. Well, if you have just joined us, it's about 27 minutes after after 6 o'clock. I'm joined in studio by Avril Nochevich, who is the head of procurement and vendor management at R&B. We're really asking very difficult questions um, around, you know, um, corruption, maladministration, and how leaders need to respond to those kinds of issues from a strategy point of view, from consequence management point of view, from a performance management point of view. We're taking all these kinds of issues, um, which unfortunately they will warrant a conversation respectively. But be as it may, we'll do our best to, to share, you know, some insights and obviously drawing from, from you know, Avril's perspective as, as a very senior person who from time to time, you know, could have gone through these kinds of challenges and, and, and in her best way trying to, you know, circumvent or navigate this very turbulent environment. Um, Avril, one of the key issues that perhaps maybe um, you, you, we, we haven't really touched on which might just add value to a listener um, listening to this kind of conversation which, which is my, 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 you know, value proposition in that we do not appreciate one of diversity in terms of the value that it brings to organization. Because when you bring diversity, the same way that you mainstream gender, you're able to hear this other perspective that really, you know, can be used as a risk mitigation strategy. To what extent... You know, based on your own personal experiences, um, do you um, to what extent do you think corporates are, you know, embracing diversity uh, management as a critical tool that brings about performance? Not so much about just numbers, but you, you bring in, you know, you, you, you appreciate, you know, the vast insights, the vast, you know, uh, information that comes from different people, from different angles. And that, that ultimately add value to your organization. To what extent do you think, you know, leadership boards and a senior executive really understands the significance of diversity from a performance point of view? So, so um, you know, I've been, I've been in my organization for uh, 14 years. So I feel privileged to work for an organization who embraces diversity and who works very hard at ensuring that not just to tick boxes, but actually that diversity does. In fact, there is proof and statistics prove that diversity actually gives you a better outcome. Um, I myself have grown a team from, so I started, I was alone, one-man band building this procurement. Um, I now have a team of um, 19 people, um, diverse, male, female, um, uh, we're, we're from all different backgrounds, um, and we are transformed. I would say I have, I have a transformed team. Um, it's quite a lot of members, quite a lot of people to, to, to manage. But I think at the end of the day, when you work for an organization that embraces the type of values you embrace, it's easier because there's no there's no debate about these issues. We, we buy into that, and we also want to transform society. I think um, – a first rand is a, so RMB is a division of first rand, but first rand looks at both um, the society environment, so like being green, um, making sure that we're transforming society. Because I think at the end of the day, 
it, we owe it to ourselves to transform the society that we live in so that it's better for all. So we get a win-win for everyone, you know, and, and I think it's, a, it's like, it's, it's, um, you change one, one person's life, you change a family, you change a, you can actually change that, that, it. That kind of ripple effect. Yes. Kind of a scenario. Velocity. You get Absolutely. almost like a velocity. On that note, I tell you what, let's take a break and pay our bills. We'll come back in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. A very good evening and welcome back again. Um, I'm joined in studio by, um, you know, Avril Notchovich from Rand uh, Merchant Bank. She is the Chief Procurement Officer, also responsible for, for vendor management. Before we enter the break, we're deliberating on some of the programs which R&B has put in place, um, you know, in terms of, you know, creating sufficient pipeline for entrepreneurs that you know, come into the fold up to a point where they graduate, you know, to become self-reliant. Uh, Avril, you know, on that particular point around supply development, which, which I think it's, it's a very useful window that creates opportunities for uh, would-be entrepreneurs who, who come in. Just take us through that process. Um, typically, you have a guy, someone who is a very small person, one or two-man show, and up to a point where they live the system as a you know a well fully fresh entity. Take us through the process. How does it work, and what have been your achievement? So, um, uh, what we what we so we if you take a triple BE, there are certain scores that you need to meet um, in terms of black owned and black woman owned suppliers, um, as well as your SME and your EME. That's the small and micro enterprise. Um, uh, um, uh, suppliers. Now we have had a focused from a first grand perspective. We had a, we've had a given the opportunity we have. We're a big organisation. We have a big spend base, and so we have a lot of suppliers. So we have an opportunity to change and transform in a small way. Mm. Though not you know it's just we're one company, but in a small way and in our own way to actually transform the the supplier database and ensure that just like we transform and have skills development within our teams of people that work in our environment that we also when we, the people we engage with our suppliers are also transformed so we have a fund it's called Vumela um, and uh, First Rand contributes an enormous sum of money don't want to talk numbers here, but um, contributes an enormous sum of money and we sit as a procurement body and we go through um, the suppliers that we, we target suppliers where it's a one or two man show where either that we can grow that supplier so that they become fully fledged and independent and we do skills development and training with that particular supplier and we've had some good news stories out of there where we have transformed suppliers into into um, from small medium enterprise into bigger suppliers and then we start with the next the next year I think we're in our third year now and um, we've done a lot to transform I think this year although the figures aren't finalized but this year we will even though the targets were a lot stricter this year the um, you know we, we got um, the banking sector set very strict targets um, we will be very successful let's say at you know, I can't say the numbers yet. They haven't been audited, but but um, we, we've had a very successful year, and I think that that's our way of of ensuring that we're transforming not only our own internal organisation, but we're transforming the society in which we find ourselves. Because then it also becomes a snowball effect, um, and we can 
we can actually transform South Africa by doing that if every company does the same. Absolutely. Multiply yeah. effect. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the issues that, that you, which I think is quite useful that you, you mentioned is the, the transition period um, from a small man to relatively independent, self-reliant a company that is capable of employing additional people. Um, the question is, what are some of the challenges that you experience in that period of, trans- of translating one one man show to you know uh, 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 you know tomorrow's billionaire for an example. Okay, so so challenges around so for example, um, engaging with an organisation like First Rand would would mean that you have to fill out things like application supply application forms. You might have to log your invoicing on a system, um, and those things may be challenging for a one man show who doesn't have a finance team behind them, etc. So it's about Ensuring that those standards, or, or so that people understand how they how they how they in, how they get into the system. So even I mean, we have people approaching us as well. So it's about how our sourcing team. Remember, I spoke about the sourcing team. Mm-hmm. How they engage with um, various um, suppliers. Um, in the industry, so understanding the industry and, and trying to understand which area we could transform, um, and then ensuring that those things that you need in order to become a supplier are, are met within that organization. And then, again, it would be because we were a bank, so we could op, um, offer uh, financing um, or um, special special products which would enable a cash flow because a business needs money to, to, to operate. So we have special um, uh, products that enable business to actually transact and, and keep a, a float so that they can grow into – the entrepreneurs of the future and, and, and billionaires or millionaires of the future. So all things being equal, if we have, if we take the R&B model, for example, and replicate as many as possible, we can seriously make a dent in, in as far as unemployment and poverty is concerned. I, I, I would think so. It's, it's ambitious. I think it's an ambitious, but it's a target. And I think it's, I think as, as I certainly know from, a, from the banking sector, I know that that is what, so the banking sector works quite closely. You know, they, we, 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 I think even the top four banks are always like challenging each other as to who can get the better score. Um, so I think there is a lot of those programs going on. Um, but they, it's, 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 so we're doing something, but I think we can always do more. You know, there's always that we, as we reach a target, we actually have to improve on that target. Especially in the context of the technical recession that we're going through now, which, which, which might be very devastating because when we're in a technical recession, which means the prospects of people coming into the business are almost zero because, like we said earlier, it's all about, you know, uh, you know cash flow for businesses. Yeah. So, you know, the, the really, we literally, you know, almost like, you know, uh, flowing against the tide or going against the grain, which means we need more and more these kinds of program, you know, to get all the South Africans out of the kind of uh, very um, unpleasant economic status that we find ourselves at at the moment. Yeah, so I think I think it would be great if we could get government, business, civil society, everybody working together to 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 actually transform South Africa. I mean, so it's South Africa is an amazing country, mm-hmm. and. I, you know, actually, you're making me dream as a city. <laughs> how, how amazing it could it could be. Possibilities, possibilities Possibil- are endless. Yes, it's just yeah. that um, we, we're just missing that very tiny, tiny. You know, um, you know, what can I call it? Tiny 
um, spark. Sp- spark. An execution. Yeah, getting things done. Get things done. I mean, the NDP is such a wonderful document that when you interrogate it fully and and everybody going through it, you know, like like almost like a Bible, you know, or some, 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 you know, divine script, so to speak, the prospect of us moving forward are are quite enormous. But then again, it's about uh, let's stop talking and start doing that would be great. Political will and leadership. Political will and leadership. Le- we need that. And, you, and then holding people to account to say, okay, you know, unemployment's 34. How are we going to get that done? Let's get it done. Let's do these programs. Let's do these. Take it in, you know. You can only eat an elephant in burger-sized chunks. Absolutely. And, you do it into, and then it's about holding that, holding everybody to account. Which, which brings us to the next question, um, Avril. Um, I mean, I, I, this may not be a fair comparison when you look at South Africa's economic, you know, uh, performance when you juxtapose it with the likes of Singapore, for an example, where an unemployment rate, or I mean, um, you know, uh, yeah, unemployment is uh, sitting around two percent, and when we're sitting double digits, and and the chance that this is obviously growing unless we really arrest it, and and these all issues breaks down or calls into question around leadership. Government leadership, corporate leadership, civil society leadership, everybody needs to get their ducks in a row. Um, from where you're sitting, I know you've, you've sort of touched on, you know, the kind of work that you are doing. Um, I, I think I think probably the question is, how do we, you know, really get these pockets of excellence that we know that they're really working and, and almost like blow them, Massify them. That the government's discourse massify them to a point that we we are able to to address the skills gap and unemployment. What is that we need to do differently, just to you know get all these these this wonderful programs that are in place to a point that um, perhaps maybe private sector might need support. What the support might be from government. Well, I think and I think this talks to everybody. If you look at Singapore's success, they 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 talk about. Um, the success being due to three things, meritocracy, pragmatism, and honesty. So I don't think any of those three things at the moment are embedded in our society. Um, and although they still – they say that Singapore has its you know, fair share of distractors because they say that the political system is, is, is kind of an enlightened dictatorship um, – I still think that that if you look at the the success factors since I think it's 1965 when they when they um, um, gained independence, um, I think that um, the things they focus on, the difference that the things they focus on are education and child mortality. So they've got the best education system in the world. Um, I know even when my children were at school, um, we got the Singapore maths. So we had to buy Singapore maths in South Africa. But, um, again, it's around um, educating. That's about education. And, um, you know, we spoke about things earlier about integrity. And I think that's another thing is like, yes, maybe you do need an element of um, – it sounds like dictatorship, but it's, it's not really. It's around following the rules. So we need to actually do things differently, whereas before we haven't followed so many rules. We've done it a different way. So now we need to say, okay, how can we hold government, society, business to account? Because, you know, government weren't, weren't um, 
aren't corrupt on their own. They have to have a partner. Absolutely, and, and, and the partner is in everybody else. Yes, you know? correct. So it's how can we... I don't know if I'm answering your question. But but here's the elephant in the room, um, Avril. Yes. Meritocracy. Yeah. You know, which, which Singapore, as an example, and other, um, you know, very developed countries have always um, um, sort of pay attention to without being shy. Um, and I think you and I know that in South Africa, meritocracy, um, it, it's obviously almost like wishful thinking when you look at the kinds of deployment, uh, you know, opportunities that have been given people that don't really understand. There's almost like no fit for purpose, mm-hmm. uh, not only at the low, low, lower level, but up to the highest level. So, so I mean, when you look at, you know, fruitless and wakeful expenditure, irregular expenditure, all these issues don't necessarily speak to corruption necessarily, but also speak to meritocracy, which means we have not really nipped it in the butt. We don't really, we have not really got to a point where we appreciate the, the significance of, of, of appointment based on merit. But how do we change this? I know it's, it's a million-dollar question. I don't have answers for it. But political will, for me, is one of the solutions that you know we, we can we can transform this. From where you're sitting, how do we get meritocracy? How do we get people to position based on merit as a, as a, also, as opposed to any other criteria other than are you capable, willing, and ready to deliver? So I think, and certainly in the organisation I work for, there we. It is a meritocracy, so we we don't just employ. We look for the right candidate. Having said that, you know, I, I you know you are able to choose people. There's a there's a wide variety of of candidates in the in the market to choose from. So we actually, in a way, I I've seen many many candidates across across the across the whole um, all race groups and. Um, I think we, in a, in a way, we spoiled for choice. I think there are a lot of good people out there, um, highly educated, highly capable, and we need to um, um, hire the right skill into positions. To your pur- to your point around fit for purpose, because if you hire somebody who's not going to do the job, they're not going to manage the people, then that whole department goes down the toilet. So. Absolutely. Is that a word you can use? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but here's the thing, um, Avril, which, which, which I think is also quite useful. One may argue that, look, Nimrod, um, yes, you, you, you might be privileged to be talking about merit. Um, some people may not necessarily have the kinds of exposure that you've had. Um, the question is, what sort of programs that, that, well, not only private sector, but also government put in place to support those that may not necessarily have the kinds of skills that that, that, that would would address fit for purpose. So from where you're sitting, are there sufficient programs that are meant to, you know, you know, build capacity for incumbents that may not necessarily be de- defined as qualified or competent? So, so what I've noticed, this is my only personal experience. What I've noticed is that. We we focus a lot, and I, I don't know where, why this has happened. Maybe it's a, it's, it's a symptom of our history in South Africa. But we focus on everybody must go to university, where um, there's, um, there's a lot of trade um, trade jobs that are trade. Um, my neighbor is an, an ele- electrician. Yeah, I think that was his electrician or plumber. Yeah, he's a plumber. He's made so much money. Um, so what's wrong with being a plumber if you're not going to be university material? Why waste 
so your money at university. <laughs> so why don't we also focus on the manufacturing sector and, manuf- and focus on trade and have skill, uh, skills development in those um, industries instead of just focusing on the what people think is the sexy stuff because a business, an electric, electrical business is, is awesome. And, uh, um, but, but let me play a devil's advocate on a very nice point because supply and demand, you know, yes, I agree with completely that we need to, um, promote skills oriented type of disciplines or, you know, so that we create that kind of, um, um, you know, expectation or the kind of, you know, opportunities for people. But most corporates are in the same space around academia, you know, they're not really, you know, promoting, you know, Tibet kind of setup. You know, so so so, in my view, you know, we can't talk about, you know, our skills, um, our technical skills, um, when the, the 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 supply side or the demand side from corporate, um, it's not necessarily responsive, and and I beg I mean back to you know firm that when you look at the sponsorships that most corporate do are more academic oriented as opposed yes, to... Yes, I see what you mean. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. you know, yeah, and, we, we make a good point. So, so we need to change, change the, the, the funding model so that we discourage people from, from going to university. You know, the more and more we channel resources towards technical, vocational kind of disciplines, the better because um, the more and more we, have, we channel our resources to, to universities, we're not, we're not, we're not going to win. Your take on that. Sorry. Mm. Yes. No, I agree. We, you're we not. Because, again, I mean, I, I know when I was at Varsity, though, I, I think the lecturer would come in and say, I guarantee you the first year, guarantee you 70% of you will not be here when you qualify. So, you know, like, like everyone wants to go to university, but sometimes that's not your your thing. And I think I think I hear your, your point about, about – um, it's not just government that needs to do something. It's also the private sector. But maybe, but but also, it must be easy for small businesses to start up. So the stru- the structure must be must be easy for a manufacturing industry. I know now we outsource everything to China or or India or wherever. But if you know, if you if we start growing that type of business around um, cut, make, and trim, you know, you make. Absolutely. Uniforms Absolutely. or whatever it is, those entrepreneurs out there. You know, like the, the kind of stimulus that, that, that can only activate these kinds of technical stream can also be promoted through a concerted effort from private sector and government to say all our bursaries, you know, you know, will only go towards these kinds of discipline because that way you're stimulating demand. That, Correct. You know, correct, and, and yeah. people begin, you know, their mindset begins to change that way. The second, there's no money in the university. Here's the money. Yeah. And, and, and we create lots and lots and create more and more role models who, who are more technical in orientation as opposed to academia. No, I agree with that. You know, so, so I saw somehow that's perhaps me, that's an alcohol position that you might have with your, you know, uh, you know, executive say, look, Look at let's look at our you know bachelors. Let's maybe change a few things around, and and see how we can promote um, you know technical skills because that creates jobs as opposed to flooding you know markets with becomes and, and and legal degrees, of which most people once they're done they're looking for jobs as opposed to creating jobs. But technical skills, um, so developers, for example, developers, people system on the 
computers who are down now now we are all going we're digitizing everybody's digitizing so there's a lot there's a lot of opportunity Absolutely. for people with with that you don't necessarily need a uh, technical skills for that you just need to know you know you know you need to know how to program and though there are we do have programs like that but i suppose it's also around that it's the whole society has to change because i think people think well no if i don't have a university degree then I, i'm not uh, and I'm I, not valued and, and there's I, no value in, in who I am and then I said to people what's the point of being a university degree and staying at home yeah. because, because I mean ultimately you know, you, know you, you, you are worse off having a qualification doing absolutely nothing than you know having a qualification that brings you something you know and, and, but anyway that's another conversation for another day my last point uh, Everly, if you may gender mainstreaming you know earlier when you spoke about some of the programs that you have done that, that really brings about equity from a gender point of view. Are we in a battle? How far are we? I think we're we, we on our way. Certainly if I look, we, we sit in, as part of uh, central finance, and I think that um, certainly we've there's, – there's, it's awesome because there's lots of female leadership, et cetera. Um, I think maybe more on the executive right at the top levels um, – we we are slowly making transformation, but um you know we're seeing it as and again it, when I spoke about that thing about um, velocity or like <laughs> it's that as as we get stronger um, leadership as we get stronger leadership then we get and we get people who are invested in transforming so you get new people fresh blood coming into the organisation you get fresh. Ideas, ideas and, and etc and views and then we have these like gender programs we have a special gender program right. athena this is a program that's run specifically for women and then it's a then women are able to kind of collaborate and partner with each other to see what are the issues and how and maybe even find mentors etc amongst the the female um part of the organization and we invite males to it's not like it's we, we males aren't invited, but um, so and it's it's about how we um, break that glass ceiling. Um, so there is there is there has been transformation, but again, it's we need to do more. It's the same as when we look at our supply ch- our supply value chain. And we got we great on black black owned, black woman owned. We getting we've we've come a long way. We've done a lot, but we need to do more. So. Talking of more, what, what do you think the role of the media, uh, for example, could actually do in, in, you know, elevating the kinds of work that has been done? Because half the time, you know, I don't, that's my views. I don't think media often really illustrate the kinds of, you know, traction um, that, that some of the organizations have actually gone. Um, instead, the emphasis is, is often more on the negative, on negative, negative side of things as opposed mm, to the positive, positive, side, positive yeah. side of things. So... Is there a role that media can play from where you sit in terms of really going and, and sitting with you and elevating or excavating the kinds of success stories that you have done and punting them more and more because so that we're able to change the mindset? I, th- I, I certainly think so, as long as it's not fake news. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've just joined me, uh, we are, we're about to wrap up um, a very interesting conversation with, with, with Avril Notchabert, who is the uh, Chief um, Procurement Officer as well as a Vendor uh, Manager um, at R&B. And the conversation really is about her experience uh, in managing a very complex uh, portfolio and the kinds of um, um, issues or programs that they come up with in bringing about 
the desired outcome which all want in as far as um, you know uh, skills development uh, pro- uh, preferential procurement and so on and so forth so I think you know r and b based on the kind of conversation we've had uh, up to now definitely on the right track and and we just need to have more and more opportunities or more and more outfits that that can actually leverage on the kind of success stories that we see so that um and especially women-led organization or women-led you know units can actually be be replicated elsewhere your take on that I think that's ambitious, but I like it. I like it. I like the sound of it, and I think it's awesome. I think we should do more of it because I think, um, I suppose we always hear it's always been led by very male dominated, so especially finance into the finance industry. I mean, when I when I started my degree, I think I was one of three females. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's amazing for for women to be putting their heads above the parapet and um, actually standing up and having a voice. I couldn't agree with you more. Besides, some of us are brought by, by very strong women. And then the, that's why we, we always, given any opportunity, punt women, because women are incredible individuals. They can really do amazing work in as far as transformation is concerned. Yes, and remember, 50% of your, your genes are from women. <laughs> On that note, thank you very much, Avril. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on board. And I, I certainly think the, you know, our listeners have certainly enjoyed the conversation that we've had. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for inviting me here. The pleasure is mine. Once again, it has been an absolute pleasure. Until we meet again, adios.